0: Hello, and welcome to The Feedcast, a monthly podcast created and sponsored by Relay Network. As the feed technology pioneers, Relay Network feeds harness the engagement power of social and news feeds for businesses and the people they serve. I'm your host, Tricia Gabberty, and in The Feedcast, we will hear from cross-industry experts who will share their approach to driving meaningful and powerful customer engagement. In under 30 minutes, you'll gain usable insights and strategies from informative discussions with curated subject matter experts. In today's episode, I am delighted to welcome Jason Connor. Jason Connor is the Global Chief Client Officer for Gray, one of the world's largest global advertising agencies. Jason oversees Gray's top 20 clients, along with leadership responsibility for the New York flagship where he's based. In 2021, Jason was an Adweek 50 honoree recognized for his dedication to client satisfaction, operational excellence, and team growth. Throughout his career, Jason has championed creativity and fostered deep collaboration across a breadth of industry verticals, from toys to telecom, consumer electronics to healthcare, financial services to fast-moving consumer goods, established icons to emerging upstarts. He has been recognized by the industry and his peers for guiding some of the world's best marketers and teams to win highly coveted international awards from the Effie's and Collins Lions winning across the cyber, film, design, experiential, and PR entertainment categories, as well as Super Bowl recognition in USA Today's Ad Meter and winning Twitter's Interception Award. Jason is a graduate of Duke University, sits on the board of directors for CHPA, and guest lectures at NYU, Columbia, and his alma mater. Jason, welcome to the Feedcast.
1: Thank you, Tricia. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: I am so excited to have you. Full transparency, I did have the opportunity to take advantage of all of that deep collaboration and creativity uh, from you in years past. And I am just continually impressed by your amazing resume.
1: Well, thank you so much. But the resume means nothing without good business partners like yourself. Uh, We did a lot of great things together. And I have had good fortune of having had a lot of good marketing partners over my career. And uh, it takes two. So, or it takes two teams, if you will, to really make magic. And I loved everything that we had done together years ago.
0: Yes, yes. And as you said, it starts with a great relationship. But as I was going to scratch out my own introduction, and then I looked at your bio, They seemed to be tracking because what I was starting to scratch out is the fact that you've really been client-facing your entire career, right? And your role has always been sort of getting into the mind of the consumer to help influence the messaging, the brand positioning, the creative. That goes into causing that consumer, whether it be B2B or B2C, to make the decision to purchase your client's product or service. So can you just talk a little bit about how does one go about immersing themselves into the mind of the consumer, which can be a scary place?
1: Well, <laughs> it can be a scary place, but it's an exciting place, too. It all starts with research and doing your homework. The biggest pitfall is when teams start talking about consumers like their Martians and science experiments and start you know, going at it like this is a purely rational and functional exercise. The reality is consumers, people, us, we're highly complex. We're equally as rational as we are emotional. There's a lot of things that make us tick and you have to do due diligence and commit yourself to understanding the underlying behaviors and desires of each person what makes them tick, what makes them move, why should they move, what barriers do they have in place. Some are apparent, some are not apparent, and you got to dig a little bit deeper. And ultimately, gather these data points and create a consumer journey, which again, sounds highly rational and methodical, but it's a path to get from A to B.
0: I agree, and it's interesting that you you touched up on the word emotion because in the last two podcasts that we've recorded, each of the guests also pointed to that emotional connection as being sort of fundamental and that is along the whole sales cycle that as a consumer, again, whether I be a business or an individual, we're still human, so we recognize the need that we have and then we go about setting our own research into motion to figure out okay, so who can satisfy that need so As you go about to develop these tactics or campaigns or strategies to bring consumers into the fold, have them consider your client's brand for purchase, where does the engagement really begin?
1: (laughs) The engagement begins at the very, very beginning. So the old adage of, you know, you only have one time to make a first impression is definitely true. I would say in marketing, You only have one time to make a good first impression efficiently. You can get a do-over, but it's probably going to cost you time, money, emotional. Again, that word currency in terms of trying to sway your consumer or customer into your brand. But it shouldn't be about swaying. It should be about creating an experience for someone and inviting them in. You can't do push marketing and always expect success. You have to entice, you have to invite, you have to find out what it is about your brand, your product, or service that makes it relevant to the people with whom you're trying to connect. I mean, it starts at the very beginning with core basic needs and you can't leapfrog that. I mean, you really got to dig into it. Creating that first experience for them, hopefully one that's positive, requires a lot of thought. You know, again, it's not just about putting your brand forward. It's what do you want your brand, your product or service to make them feel like what's the end game? I mean, yes, they're going to subscribe. They're going to buy. You have to move past the transaction and get deeper in terms of the end game. Think about the long game. Okay, they're going to buy. They're going to subscribe. But how long are they going to buy? the subscription is going to run out. They could choose to unsubscribe at any point in time now with or without penalty. So how are you going to beat them? There's a lot of homework that needs to get done in that.
0: I agree. And it's interesting you talk about push marketing versus pull marketing. I personally have always been more of a pull marketer myself, but push marketing, I think of Apple. We did not think that we all needed these iPhones and iPods and everything else. And yet, to go back to your point, They created that experience, right? They
1: created the experience, but they created that experience given their keen understanding of a potential need, of a desire to connect better, of a desire to interact better, a desire to have something that will allow them to optimize their experience, doing anything under the sun, whether it was uh, entertainment, education, connecting with others, capturing a moment they understood what their consumer or potential customer required, and then they built it. So yes, did they push that out? Sure, but that's also potentially synonymous with the top of the marketing funnel in terms of creating awareness. So they had something new. They had to create awareness for what they were launching and putting forth. So could the very top of the marketing funnel be push? Absolutely. And of course, there's push all throughout. When I think of the Apple example and how that started, I mean, sure, but that's classic awareness building.
0: I agree. And I think it was a case of, I don't know what I don't know, or I don't know I need that. But once you enter, it's sort of like Disney World, right? <laughs> you get in and the hits just keep coming. And maybe I didn't realize that I needed wireless headset because I'm used to wearing, you know, being connected and tethered or I I, I like my needs or, but gee, these are so much easier and more convenient, you know, and to your point, it carried over from education. So do you think that just ties back to what your original point was around the research? Did the research predate all of what Apple rolled out as an experience or did they do a little bit more kind of gut checks as they went along, do you think?
1: I'm sure they did both. (laughs) You know, they had to start with research, but once you get out there, you have to create an ongoing dialogue with your consumers you know so whether that's actively soliciting feedback whether that is taking research to a more insightful and impactful level and doing ethnographies going a little bit deeper than that doing deprivation studies once they have something there are so many different ways to get at what a consumer actually needs once or doesn't even know they need, <laughs> and which I know sounds a little bit salacious and I don't mean it to sound like that. But again, it's all about, if you're a marketer, it's about how are you going to delight your consumer and customer at every single turn so that you are providing some sort of value add at each engagement. That is never going to happen if you don't have, as a marketer, if you don't have a mechanism for engagement and feedback. Along the way.
0: And I was just going to touch on that because, yeah, we talked about the onboarding and that first touch. And I agree with you, you have the one time to make a first impression and it better be good. And then you build that relationship. So, what tools or what kind of, you know, is there a cadence to this customer engagement? How do firms and organizations and brands bring that engagement to life with their customer without being too in their face or too, you know, a creep factor?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it's about building a consumer journey. So understand the audience with whom you want to connect better than anyone else. How does what you're offering fit into their life, their lifestyle, their day? Who are they doing that with? You know, when are they using your product? How? Why? And then, you know, you got to figure out how to map marketing to it. You know, I don't think a consumer journey ever has truly been linear. It definitely, once upon a time, was more linear than it is now with platforms that digital, social, mobile afford us. The consumer journey sometimes looks a little bit more like a bowl of spaghetti <laughs> than it does a semi-straight line. And you have to really take a lot of pains and measures to map it out and understand that there are off-ramps and on-ramps that your brand has to account for. So, you know, again, the example I'm going to give you right now is a little bit linear, but it's a little bit of a relay race where as you get consumers in to experience your brand, you're passing them off at key points. You know, one way to think of it is obviously through the marketing funnel, awareness, consideration, purchase, loyalty, and advocacy. But there are all of these micro moments, even in the consideration space and the buy space. And... The reason I use relay race is that when you're running a relay race, you have a team. So let's think of team as touch points. And the best runners and those that win the race, it's not one runner is running to the next one who stopped and you're passing the baton. They start running before you get to them. So there is an absolute seamlessness of a handoff. So again, as you're going from one tactic to another, you know, whether it is Maybe you're uh, doing some sort of film technique, whether that's on broadcast, whether that's online. Where are you directing them to? Where are they going to take action? Are you driving them to a URL? Are you putting up a QR code? It's always thinking one step ahead. Mm -hmm. So you're not breaking the experience for the person who you're looking to engage. You're always giving them the next step. You're not making them work hard. The minute you make someone work hard, you're breaking their brand experience you know, every marketing funnel has holes. It's actually just a sieve. (laughs) you're trying to to make sure the sieve is as tight as possible as you're getting down there. But again, you do that through an intimate understanding of the consumer because the minute you lose them, it's harder to get them back in. But if you can just keep leading them one step at a time in a way that feels organic, in a way that feels relevant to them, in a way where every step, you don't want to make it laborious, is actually getting them closer to understanding, okay, this is the brand for me. This is the service for me. This is better than the competition. Helping them through their consideration process, that's the win. That's the win, but you can't drop the ball. And obviously I love the relay
0: analogy because the Feedcast is a relay network podcast, right? And that whole premise, you know shameless plug for the relay network is about that continuum. Right. And having that constant curated content and making sure to serve up as you're saying, well, what comes next? And even if I don't need it today, the reminder that it's there, I know where to reach for it tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. If a consumer chooses to take a timeout, that's on them. But you don't want to be the one that forces them to take the timeout. So you have to have that solid, stellar impression all the way through. Maybe you've made it. They're not ready to buy yet. But when they are, they're going to come back to you. They're not going to look elsewhere.
0: Right. And that all goes back to what you said, the first impression, that first handling, that first experience, and if it was a satisfactory experience, then yeah, I'm going to come back for more. So right. I've got a couple more questions I wanted to ask you. The first one is kind of going back to what, what we were just talking about. And, you know, I finally stopped kidding myself about signing up for gym memberships in January. (laughs) But I was going to ask, how does a brand keep someone engaged for something like that? But I think it's exactly what you said, right? It's just keeping that seamless continuation, that conversation going.
1: Yeah, I think too. So, I mean, I know you were just using gym memberships as an example, but it's January and we're all sort of getting bombarded By that messaging at the moment as everyone tries to make and and dutifully keep their New Year's resolutions. But one of the things that's interesting in terms of what gyms do is they try their hardest to make it easy. If you're someone that hasn't been a gym goer, January comes around and you're trying to get back into it, you are truly trying to force a behavioral change upon yourself. And good gyms know that. So they are going to try to make it easy for you to comply. They know that it takes 11 or 12 days to actually drive meaningful behavioral change, to make a habit. Going to the gym is a huge habit that you have to adopt, particularly if you're not used to doing it. But doing something like that 11 or 12 days in a row helps. That's why a lot of them have 11 or 12 day fitness challenges. That's why they're offering classes. That's why they're offering a lot of different ways, actually, to get you to engage on your level so that you feel most comfortable, so that you will keep going. They put in reward mechanisms at the end of it. They incentivize you. Um, Some of it's through like, hey, if you stick on a month, you'll get the second month free. There are mechanics that can be put in place based on, again, on an innate understanding of your consumer by which to get them to comply. Mm -hmm.
0: I agree. So, when I look at your background and understand from toys to telecom, consumers yeah. to healthcare, you know electronics to healthcare, et cetera, is there one vertical or more that you feel kind of gets it right out of the gate in terms of consumer engagement, and customer engagement, and others that maybe face a little bit more of a challenge? and
1: that's a great question. So I don't know if any one vertical or category gets it right consistently. I will say. One of the ones that I am enamored with both personally and professionally is just the travel category. And I'll zero in specifically on airlines. You know, so obviously they already have a service orientation, right? That's just part of their DNA and what they do. However, what fascinates me by it is when you think about how that industry had to rethink itself coming out of the pandemic. I mean, almost on a dime, that industry shut down for a bit. People weren't flying. Flights were grounded. The flight schedules were decimated. People were not going anywhere near an airline or an airplane or an airport. And that industry had to rethink how it was going to engage with its customers, whether new or loyal. I mean, Tricia, I'm two flights away from being a two million miler on Delta. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you in my entire career, never when I was you know, booking business or personal travel, did I ever think for one minute about the, the health or safety in my decision to choose Delta as my airline of choice. But you have a pandemic that literally stops people in their track and all the airlines, I'm choosing Delta because that's where I have personal affinity, but all of the really smart airlines took it as a moment to think, how are we going to reengage? How are we going to prove our value? How are they going to do that? I think the thing that was most impressive to me, and again, a lot of, a lot of the airlines that are now succeeding best coming out of the pandemic followed similar playbooks. An open, plain spoken, honest, almost heartfelt, I mean, truly heartfelt engagement from their CEOs. You know, one messaging that went to their loyalists, another that went to you know, potential new travelers, a steady beat of updates on what they were doing to make the experience healthier for you, safer for you, more optimal for you. They all took that period of time, again, I'm using all loosely, but many of them took that period of time to think about what is their experience at the airport? What is the experience in the lounge? How are we actually greeting people? And at every step of the way, the better airlines truly made it an invitation. I mean, they reinvented it. I'm just, again, I geek out in this category. So even on blogs, a lot of consumers were even likening it back to sort of the mystique of travel from decades ago, where people actually used to dress to travel and it was a wonderful experience. That's kind of coming back to a certain extent in terms of, Making the flyer feel like they intuitively understand what the next steps are. I mean, that, you know, in terms of the journey, that's the thing that I think has impressed me the most on any single category because they risked financial peril and the better ones put in the diligence to figure it out.
0: So we must be flying different routes on Delta. (laughs) (laughs) I am a Delta loyalist too. And I will say I was probably one of the few that actually flew through 2020 because the planes were empty. That middle seat was... I mean, Delta did step right in, right? Ed got up there and gave his heartfelt message and you know, just that sort of infrared or whatever lighting they used to try to kill the bacteria. I do have to go back though and ask about the loyal audience of Southwest. And after the debacle that they encountered over the holidays, how does a brand recover from that? You know, they're being very sort of dodgy about how much they're going to reimburse people, but they're working with their customers to try to regain that footing. And, and, you know, it was reported yesterday, I think in the Wall Street Journal, I was reading an article where at the end of one recent Southwest flight, the pilot thanked everybody. He thanked the passengers for giving them another chance. How far does that go? How does a brand really regain their footing, especially among their most loyal, if they've
1: goofed up? The first step is you have to own it. If you don't own up to your error, particularly in this day and age, you are going to get called out on it. And you know, and what I mean by that specifically, and we've, we both have experienced this as marketers, but also just you know in our, in our personal lives, people take to social platforms. You will get ousted. So yeah, so you need to own up to it. I mean, again, this category and many categories, particularly service categories are lightning rods for PR, mostly bad PR. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but you know, you, you rarely get credit for all the good things you do. So if you don't own up to your mistakes, you're automatically set on your back foot, no matter what. So acknowledge it. Be humble about it. Tell your audience what steps you are taking to correct it. Even if you don't have it figured out just yet in that moment, be transparent that you know there's an issue, these are the actions that you're taking, and you'll get back to them, and then get back to them. If you can tell them when you're going to get back to them, even better, as long as you follow it. So again, you're managing their expectations. I think the, you know, the example that you were saying where the pilot or the captain thanked the passengers, again, very smart. Understand what are the touch points the individual touch points that your consumer experiences and make sure that they're activated to play their role correctly, in this case, in their snafu. That was brilliant. I don't know if the if Southwest would have instructed their captains and pilots to do that or if that was just very good intuition uh, of that person, but that is the right thing to do. Make sure that you are being thankful to those who continue to fly you. Because again, word of mouth is powerful. That will be pervasive. I'd worked in a different category, more in beauty where they figured out a good formula. It took one good PR mention to counteract every four bad PR mentions Mm -hmm. and something that they had figured out over time. But again, you can quickly reverse that if you're smart in terms of activating all the assets that you have. Don't overlook anything. So again, to continue with this example, it's the pilot, it's the gate agent, it's the chatbot if you're engaging and doing sales online. You know it's anyone that's going or anything that's going to have an interactive interface with your customer at the end of the day. They all have to be activated
0: so every touch point really it goes back to what you were talking about with that relay race, right so it's going every single touch point, every single part of that journey needs to incorporate the best and And I hear you saying, just don't ever underestimate the power of customer
1: dissatisfaction absolutely. you have to understand that with the platforms that customers have by which to engage and to vocalize, you're not as in control of your brand as you think you are. (laughs) Your consumer or your customer has a lot of control over your brand and the narrative that gets put out into that space. And if unless you are there to engage and make sure that there's a dialogue, a meaningful dialogue at that, and not just a monologue from dissatisfied customers, you know if if you're doing the right things you'll you'll come at the other end of it pretty well.
0: I love that Jason we covered a lot of ground around the customer journey and customer engagement and what brands need to do to really you know authenticate that relationship from the get go. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or final words before I give my summary?
1: I guess the one thing that um you had said earlier on that uh we didn't dig deep on was just sort of like the potential creepy factor mm-hmm. Uh, marketing and obviously data and privacy concerns are paramount these days in terms of so many different data and security breaches that have to deal with, you know, fraud that's coming in over mobile technology, but also, uh, through computers as well. But there's an onus that marketers have to embrace to truly have good, meaningful connection as they try to strike up, you know, one to one dialogue. They need to assure consumers that they are going to be careful with their data, that they are going to be choiceful with their data, be transparent in how they're going to use their data and how they're not going to use their data. And I'm saying all of this because fast forward again to you and I as end consumers, how many times do you get an ad that's either totally irrelevant or maybe it's from a relevant brand or from a relevant category, but you're like, this messaging is so off. Like I get the brand and I think the brand gets me, but it doesn't really understand what I want. And think about our behaviors. It's like we're scared to release our data. So we opt out of things. We push the privacy measures on stuff. So brands don't know enough about us yet. And I'm not advocating that we should all, you know, not be careful with how things are, but it is a give and take. I think the only way the process is going to get better is if brands and marketers that are looking to acquire data again are very human about their approach in doing so.
0: We could do a whole other podcast on that, on the whole privacy issue, because it seems to me that there's a push and pull for sure, where people will share absolutely everything about themselves on Facebook, on Instagram, on dating sites. And yet when those optional cookies come up, they're like, no, 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 no. Don't track me. So which way do consumers truly want it? And your point, are they really aware?
1: I don't think so. And obviously, as you know, as we go towards a cookieless world, at some point, there's going to be a whole different way mm-hmm. by which um, by which organizations are going to acquire data, and perhaps that's the moment in time where there'll actually be a, a healthy dialogue about you know how it's going to be used and and the mystique of it will go away and and maybe we'll get to a more mutually beneficial place where, you know, people feel safer and protected, but are also actually getting what they want in a better, quicker, more relevant fashion. Who knows?
0: We'll see. So you're saying Alexa really isn't listening?
1: I'm not saying that at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jason. I just want to recap what I've heard you say, and this doesn't even begin to give justice to what I found was very fruitful conversation, but... To recap it just in three points or four, the first impression is a lasting impression. Don't waste that. Be mindful about that. Don't break the continuum. So like a relay race, keep the journey going and set up for the next best experience as your consumer moves through the journey. Be accountable for your brand's missteps and don't underestimate the power of social platforms and what customer dissatisfaction can do. And then lastly, we closed out with privacy and responsible use of data and consumers being aware, but brands also being mindful around that. Absolutely. This was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for joining us today.
1: Anytime. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of The Feedcast, created and produced by Relay Network. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and give Relay Network a follow on LinkedIn. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Relay Network, nor should they be taken as legal advice. We recommend consulting your own legal team when considering your customer engagement strategy and practices.